Welcome to the Rocket MSP Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Taylor. The following interview with Vince Chrysler is round two, recorded just a week and a half after the first interview was released to the MSP community. Based on the conversation I had with Vince, I just didn't feel right without digging deeper and addressing some of the items that MSPs noted on Reddit. To summarize, Darkcubed is a cybersecurity platform that will integrate with firewalls like Sophos SGUTM, XGUTM, SonicWall TZ and NSA, Meraki MX, and a- ASAs with Firepower, PFSense, nearly a dozen FortiGate and half a dozen Palo Alto models. See the full list in the description below. A secure connection is established to pass syslog or NetFlow metadata to Darkcubed, where they parse and risk score every connection using the software that they wrote. Once the traffic is scored, the platform updates the firewall block list automatically. Once you link Darkcube to the firewall, everything is 100% automated. Unlike solutions like FortiGuard IP Reputation Service or native Sophos subscription features, nothing is being installed on the firewall. All of the processing is done in the cloud, which means your client's firewall resources won't receive a major impact. You won't reduce the throughput or affect the processing power that's needed for other tasks. Vince prefers the NIST cybersecurity framework, which isn't a surprise after his years in the Air Force and then as the Chief Information Security Officer of the White House. Darkcubed has a knowledge base for technical resources, including documents that show how they align to controls in HIPAA, NIST 171, PCI, and TPN. They're working on getting those up on the website right now. The team at Darkcubed are all U.S. citizens that are W-2 employees. Because of the unique circumstances of working with some Department of Defense contracts, Vince needs to make sure his team meets certain guidelines put in place by the client. While they could probably check off all the boxes for FedRAMP, they haven't gone through anything official since they don't have access to any confidential data. It's all metadata from the firewall. Becoming a partner is simple to do and free to get started. The Darkcube service has no long-term commitments with pay-as-you-go services on a month-to-month basis. I like the sound of Darkcubed and recommend MSPs check it out. Kick the tires. See how it works. They'll even do a 20-minute demo with you to show you everything and answer all your questions before you even have to get started. There's a ton more information available in the entire interview. Enjoy. Vince, how you doing, man? Great, Steve. Great to be back. Yeah, I agree. It's great to have you back. So I'm, I'm glad you came back so soon. Um, I, I promise I'm not like a weird stalker or something. Um, I just, I, I feel like, um, I don't know. I, I just, I just feel like maybe I didn't ask good enough questions because I put something up on Reddit and there, there was some. I don't know. There were some like mean people on the internet. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's I love that. it. Or, or maybe, maybe, I don't know like who hurt them, but, or, or maybe you guys <laughs> just aren't good. I don't know. So I want to ask some, some better questions here. All uh, right. Be, because 
I I see that um, you, you, according to this guy, uh, you have no signs of technical competence. Um, <laughs> so, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. So uh, your product, Dark Cubed, yep. uh, we, we did a, a podcast recording. It got put out a couple weeks ago at the beginning mm-hmm. of January 2022. So uh, for those of you that like want some more context, go listen to that. Um, I have the full episode, and then I also made some clips if you'd rather have bite-sized pieces. So you guys do 100% automated threat detection and blocking. So uh, let's let's talk about that. 100% automated. I can see why yep. that sounds too good to be true. Yep. So how does it work? Well, first off, I love Reddit. I think it's like one of the last few sources of truth in the world. You know, if I, if I really want to know what's going on with something, I go to Reddit and, mm-hmm. you know, people will be blunt and brash. And so I fully appreciate it. And, you know, I, I appreciate coming on to have this discussion because like we live in a world right now in cybersecurity where like marketing trumps everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of the companies out there don't do what they say they do and get away with it. And, you know, one of the things we've done as a company is, is, is how do you walk the line of, you know, having a compelling story, which is what the website is about. Like your web property is about having a compelling enough story that somebody's going to say, I'm willing to take 20 minutes out of my already busy life to talk to you. And, you know, we, we find that if we get somebody on the phone for 20 minutes, it's a great relationship really fast. It's just getting people to have that discussion. And so, you know, if you haven't ever that played the marketing game, like it's really tough to like the, the bottom line is we want to be truthful in everything we say, um, but it has to be compelling. And, th- and that's, that's tough. So, you know, at the end of the day, what we do is, you know, the automation here is, you know, you have a firewall deployed. That firewall comes out of the box with a set of really basic rules. You know, I kind of describe it as any, any, right. You're going to let everything in and everything out. And then it's up to the people that maintain that firewall to ratchet up and down those rules as they see fit to put in advanced protections. You have a, a lot of firewalls out there that have advanced protection capabilities, right? They're going to do signature-based detection. They could do some behavioral-based detection. They could have, you know, the ability to incorporate block lists, right? So I can, I can check the box on five different block lists and my firewall will sync those block lists and I'll be protected. If firewalls did everything that you needed to do to kind of have that level of protection, that would be it, right? We wouldn't need, you wouldn't see larger companies going to SIM tools, going to SOCs, buying threat intelligence, looking for all of these other tools. So, you know, firewall is just one piece of the stack and you really need to augment that firewall with additional capabilities. Things like reporting and alerting, right? How do you know if, you know, a threat report came out that says, hey, these things are really bad. How do you look at your firewall and see if your firewall has seen those things? You can't. In most cases, that reporting and, and research and analytics is really limited. And you've got to either go with a free tool like Elkstack or spend money on a SIM tool. Um, the second piece is, you know, the automation of threat intelligence to protection. So you can, on your firewall, you can say like, I want to subscribe to this block list and anything that's on that block list, I want to block. It's a great concept. What, what always happens 
is we end up with this issue of false positives, right? So something ends up on that block list that probably shouldn't be. Somebody in your network gets really upset because they're blocked from something they, that, that they're blocked from that they should, they don't feel like they should be. And then you're left with this binary black and white choice of, okay, I got to turn off that block list or I've got to turn it on. And so the automation process we talk about at Dark Cube is how do you look at all of the sources of intelligence and information out there? How do you make decisions on what's good, unknown, and bad in a level of confidence? In that level of confidence rating and the, the algorithms we use for that is where some of our secret sauce comes into play. So if, and I use this example, it's really um, over the top, but if 8888, which is Google's DNS, ends up on a block list, we ignore it because there are lots of reasons, lots of signs that indicate you should ignore it. Your firewall would consume that and block it. And so how do you automate that process of consuming information, figuring out what's good, bad, and ugly, blocking it at the firewall, and then doing reporting, alerting notifications off of that? Nope, oh, you're muted. The common phrase today. These things happen, right? Well, I'll tell you, if I were doing it, um, I would probably uh, just not look at the logs or check for issues or anything. That way I don't have to worry about uh, any issues or, or having to make any changes. I think that's probably the best approach. Just ignore it and you're not accountable for it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm glad, you know, you're getting it. I get you're it. Getting it. Let's stick our head in the sand. Uh-huh. That's actually how I like to go through life by just sticking my head in the sand and pretending something isn't happening. It works pretty well mm -hmm. until it doesn't. <laughs> yep. For sure. <laughs> All right. So you, you've got a really cool sounding product. So let's, let's talk about something a little bit, a little bit deeper. Let's talk about cybersecurity, like the concept, not the product. So there is, it, you know, cybersecurity, a lot of MSPs are doing, uh, you know, they, they do patching and they've got antivirus and, you know, they, they might have, uh, you know, spam filter and a couple other things. And they say they do cybersecurity, but that's not real cybersecurity. Um, other MSPs, like the other side of the spectrum, maybe they're outsourcing all of the cybersecurity to an MSSP, or, you know, maybe they're, they're using like a, um, an outsourced sock type of environment with a sock SIM kind of thing going on where maybe they're doing it. They just are paying people that actually know how, um, and, and that's getting handled that way. But. But I feel like there's a, a lot of MSPs that are in between. Yeah. And they, they are starting to, to look at cybersecurity and figure out how all this stuff works. And a lot of them are probably, um, just purchasing products because of, I don't know, the marketing hype or because all the MS, other MSPs they know are doing it or whatever, but maybe they don't understand the fundamentals or the why behind things. So right. let's talk about something called the cybersecurity framework. What is a framework and do MSPs need one? Short answer is yes, you need a framework. 
at the end of the day, you know, cybersecurity, I think is a, is a, it's just a way to describe a field of work in information and technology that I would describe as risk management, right? So you're managing the risk that somebody else is going to get access to information they shouldn't have, or they're going to change information that shouldn't be changed, right? Or, uh, you know, or they're going to disclose information, um, that, that probably shouldn't be disclosed. We, you talk about this, uh, or they're going to take systems offline, right? So the denial of service attack, those sorts of things. It, it, from my old government world, there's a uh, acronym called CIA, and it's not the spooky one, but it's confidentiality, <laughs> integrity, and availability, right? And and I and I like that as a as a mental framework for the risks that you're trying to manage as an IT provider, right? Managed service providers are IT providers. They're providing support for their customers to enable their business. And there's risks to that business. There's risk that data gets accidentally deleted. And the way you manage that risk is you back up. There's risk that they can't use their computer uh, because the keyboard's broken, right? And you manage that risk. There's risk that one of the servers in your environment might have a vulnerability with log4j. That's a cybersecurity risk, but it's the same sort of thing. It's you know, getting access to a system somebody shouldn't have access to and how do you manage that risk? What's been really frustrating to me is to watch a cybersecurity industry that's aligned to the enterprise, right? Big ticket items, big budgets, big people's big teams, try to then push the responsibility for doing things the enterprise way down market. So you have an MSP that supports law firms or accounting firms, school districts, religious institutions, whatever. And they're being told, you've got to spend a lot of money and hire analysts to do security right. And if you can't, you have to pay somebody else to do it right. Um, and their customers can't pay that, right? And so, I, you know, I, I feel for these, uh, a majority of these MSPs that are stuck trying to solve this risk with products that are out of reach, too expensive, too complex. This is where frameworks come in, right? And there are a, a countless number of frameworks, whether you're talking about, you know, I can, I can yep. list off a few of them, but I can't tell you the differences between them, if I'm being honest. So I know there's CIS, there's NIST, and yeah. I believe ISO 27001 or 27002 Correct. are technically frameworks, right? Yep. And, and there's that, also the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification Program that they're continuing to try to build and figure out for the Department of Defense. Yeah. I've, you know, I, I've already forgotten the acronym for it. Yes, CMMC. Yes, thank you. Um, and and the reason I've already forgotten it is because I I remember it was like such a a big thing. All of these all of these you know security experts and and MSSPs or whatever there are, uh, they they were you know doing these training courses on CMMC because it's it's the wave of the future and everyone needs to know it and you know whatever whatever stuff they're going to sell you. And now you don't hear any of that from them. And why is that, Vince? They moved the model for CMMC. So they've released CMMC version 2.0 um, because they realized the first version was a little complex and expensive. And in fact, in, in the appropriations bill for the Department of Defense, you know, the, the DOD is being asked by Congress to assess the impact of CMMC on small businesses and provide a report. 
Mm-hmm. So there was just a lot of concern about the impact of forcing an expensive, costly, time-consuming framework onto small businesses in the defense industrial base and what that would do. So that's that's one of the things that's held up CMMC. When I'm going to oversimplify it a little bit, but a lot of these frameworks, I think, can be divided into kind of two concepts. Either it's attestation or it's some sort of assessment or audit, right? So in, in an attestation framework, you're basically, it's a voluntary, it may or may not be voluntary, but it's a framework that says, you know, as an individual responsible for these systems, I'm going to sign my name on, on the dotted line and say, I'm meeting these standards. Um, in an assessment framework, so think about an ISO framework, you're actually going to have an independent third party come in and look at your infrastructure and certify you um, kind of uh, kind of accountability. So th- those are the two ways to think about those frameworks. For, for, for managed service providers, you know, I think... If you're in a regulated industry, hopefully you know about the frameworks that you're responsible for. If you're operating in certain states, say, you know, California with the California Consumer Privacy Act, CCPA, you know, you're aware of those standards that that drive your business. But more broadly, you know, you need an organized way to manage risk. So how do you how do you assess risk? How do you mitigate, manage, mitigate, transfer that risk? Um, so you're doing the things that you need to be doing in a responsible manner. And I think, you know, you probably have some other follow-up questions here, but, and so I don't want to keep running on, but, uh, we're starting to see more indications that government's interested in holding groups accountable for doing what they say they're doing. Right. So, you know, this false claims act idea, if you're responsible for the security of a company and you fail to do that materially, there, there could be you know, financial or legal impact to that. And we're starting to see inklings coming out of that, out of, out of the, out of the U S government. Okay. Uh, so when, when people say, all right, I've, I've picked a framework because, you know, I've, I've read the, you know, countless pages of documentation on the framework and this seems to I don't know. I've, I've, I've read this one and I've read these other three and I like this one the best. I don't know. It just, it calls to me. So, so because of that, uh, I've chosen this framework and, um, is there a framework that you Vince Chrysler prefer? So I like two things. I think the NIST cybersecurity framework CSF is a rigorous enough framework that can be boiled down into a very simple form that -hmm. people can use it to build programs off of. And it's not a, it's not an audit framework, right? There's a lot of materials out there. The U S government's paid to develop this. It's based on a rich history of security controls and other things, but it takes you in kind of a maturity model approach, which I like the idea of, I don't have to go from zero to 60. I can, I can take incremental steps to manage risk. And so when you look at NIST, NIST CFS, CSF as a framework, it kind of covers everything you should be covering and gives you ways to, to get started down that road. The other thing we're seeing a lot of really good progress in industry is kind of driven out of MITRE. Um, they're kind of, they're a federally funded research and development center, FFRDC, um, and they've come up with this, this attack framework. So, you know, ATT, ampersand, CK. And attack is, is all about mapping out all the components of what a cyber attack what a digital attack does, all the, all the tools, all the resources, all the indicators, 
So you can start to understand in a category, categorical way how these things are done and then measure your defense against it. So I think kind of MITRE attack is a framework of how do we think about what attackers are doing and how do we make sure our defenses are covering that um, is an interesting concept for more mature organizations. And how, how, so I, I always hear people say, you know, how does this software align with your framework? So it, it sounds like, you know, when, when you have a, a software solution, it mm -hmm. is able to, you know, if, if you were able to turn your framework into a checklist, uh, or, or, or maybe one of those, one of those where you've got like, uh, two different columns and then you've got the arrows that go in between them to to connect the dots right yeah. so so if we're looking at nist C, uh, csf like how how does dark cubed align in that framework are you able to say well we check off these i don't know 13 or two or however many boxes because we do these things yeah. And I think, you know, when it comes to the sales motion, right, we have a sales motion to our MSPs, our MSPs have a sales motion to their customers, mm -hmm. aligning that sales motion to requirements that should be met is, is a great process, right? Because it, it gives not just fear, uncertainty and doubt FUD, but also kind of practical, reasonable reasons you should do this. And when we talk about dark cubed, you know, a lot of these frameworks have the requirement to you know, are you monitoring inbound and outbound communications to your network, right? And a, and a firewall isn't really sufficient to do that. Um, are you incorporating the logs from the firewall can be correct. So, you know, to, to monitor inbound and outbound communications, you could stand up an elk stack, you could buy a SIM tool, right? You could put your logs onto a server and have the ability to search it and write scripts. Like there are lots of ways to meet that requirement. We give a quick and easy way to meet that. Some of the other requirements, you know, are you incorporating threat intelligence to, to your infrastructure, right? And we're doing that. And so the ability to kind of say, yes, we're, we're providing that. Are you doing alerting? Um, do you have the ability to audit and review that information? So there are, there are definitely a handful of those controls that we help meet in a really affordable, streamlined, easy way. You know, um, the ability to kind of set this up and have it up and running in almost a fire and forget fashion in five minutes is, is pretty rare in the market. And that's one of the things we're proud of. And so, you know, certainly this compliance against frameworks, this ability to, to prove the value to your customers that way is, is a key thing of, that we're focused on as a company. So if I look at your website, which I, I think I said it before, and I'm going to say it again, you have a beautiful website. And in my opinion, there's a lot of good stuff on here. Uh, let's, I guess I should put the website up here. There you go. So if, if we look at this together, mm -hmm. I'm even going to remove the logo that we can see it all. Um, if I come up here to solution, like there's a lot of options here. Do yep. any of these tell me how dark cubed aligns in certain frameworks? We have, so we have two, um, we have some public information that we put out. We do have a document on this alignment, and I think it's shared in our MSP marketing portal. 
Mm. So we have the stuff that we're putting up on our website publicly for everybody. And then we have content that we put in our portal for our MSPs that they can brand themselves, right? And, and, and use a part of that. Um, well, and, and the reason I ask is because, you know, MSPs, maybe they just want to, to know that information. Like maybe they don't even want to talk to you guys or your sales team until they know how this is going to align in the framework. And, you know, if, if you're able to list off, uh, almost use like the, the different portions of the framework as like the heading, and then you, and then you talk about, here's what we do. And, and, you know, maybe you're not going to say how we do it because maybe that's the secret sauce. Right. But, but you can say, here's what we do. Here's how you can, uh, review it or audit it to see that it's doing it. Um, yep. so that way you can check off this box in, in this framework. Yeah. Um, I, I think that would be huge for MSPs that are, are considering your product and aren't yet ready to talk to you guys. That's a great piece of advice. I'll get the team on it. Thank you. Uh, now, one thing I, I do like is you've got uh, some responses here. You know, the KS supply chain, um, a Terra. I didn't even know there was an Terra attack in August. Yeah, I, there are a lot of examples of people using a Terra as a free tool, right, to do command and control for bad actors. Right. So, you know, I, I like to say like a lot of these uh, a lot of these RMM tools are just malware being used for legitimate business purposes. I, I think they are tools that you should actually absolutely have. They're, they're very valuable, um, but they can be used for bad purposes. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Um, a, a pet peeve of mine from a marketing standpoint, Fence? It's, it's my pet peeve as well. I know what you're going to say. Is making well, things behind a wall of registration. Like I want to be able to access all this information without having to register. Is that what you're going to say? Well, oh no, uh, from a marketing oh, standpoint, I get it. Okay. Yeah. I get it. Um, you know, making it available without the registration would be super great, but if people want to see this, you know, maybe they need to give you an email address or whatever. No, yeah. my pet peeve is, all right, this is, which one is this enhancing MSP revenue brief email, yep. first name, last name, capture, submit. Yep. Let's go to the Atera one. Nothing. Let's go to Kaseya, email, no CAPTCHA, submit. So it's it's not that you should or shouldn't. It's like, pick one, man, and be <laughs> consistent on your forms. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> that's, that's my <laughs> peeve. <laughs> You're killing me. It's great. <laughs> All right. So, um... I know we, we talked about pricing last time. So if you guys want to listen to that kind of stuff, go listen to the last episode. Um, we, we talked about kind of how this thing works. Uh, one of, one of the things I recall is you are grading the internet, right? You're, you're giving every domain a score. Now this is working at the firewall level. So this is a little more comprehensive than something like, um, let's pick on umbrella since they're just, uh, the biggest DNS filtering tool out there. Right. So they are able to filter at the DNS level. 
So if something comes at you with an attack using an IP address, whether it's IPv4 or 6, they probably can't filter that because it's, it's not DNS. It, it's just an IP. You are seeing all of the internet traffic. So you can legit, you can, you can block things at the IP level, at the domain level, whatever you want to block, you, you can block it. When you're giving things a score, um, you're, you're basically saying, you know, we're not sure how much, how, how much, uh, trust, right there. It's a level of trust. You know, the, the higher the score, the, the more we trust them and there's a threshold. And if they're below that threshold, then it's probably blocked or maybe it's behind a, are you sure you want to do that button or, you know, any number of how, however it works, it, it doesn't matter for, for what I'm about to say. Um, am I, am I correct so far? Fundamentally? Yeah. I, I, there, there's kind of a primary rule of the way the internet works, which is, you know, one computer talks to another computer. They find each other based on IP addresses, right? So like that IP, IP address is ground truth. The DNS system sits on top of that and basically maps kind of a human readable domain name to an IP address. Um, and so what these DNS protection companies are doing, DNS filter, umbrella and others are basically saying, look, we can, we can look at the queries. We can look at the IPs you're going back to on the back end. If we see something bad, either because it's gambling site and you don't want to allow gambling, you can redirect that domain name to an IP that's a, like a sinkhole or a, or a block list. Um, there's a lot of value, I, I feel, in DNS protection capabilities. You, you can do a lot of good there. And you're right in the gap is, you know, if I write, uh, if I write malware that doesn't use DNS, it just talks to an IP, I can sidestep that completely and there's no protection. Um, if I'm scanning infrastructure from the outside in, like we see with Log4j, right, DNS protection doesn't solve that because, you know, it's an IP address trying to look for a vulnerability. If they pop that, they're communicating back to an IP address and your DNS system would probably not, not protect you from that at all. Um, and so we are primarily focused on kind of using IP intelligence and other, and other data to say, you know, is it good? neutral or bad and how confident are we in that assessment based on a bunch of factors um and, and then how do you automate that away one of the questions that somebody asked and i think this is a a good question it wasn't just you know let's let's pick on the new guy or whatever right um have you found anything different from what fortigate offers natively and then they they gave me a a blurb from the fortigate website and it says the FortiGuard IP reputation service aggregates malicious source IP data from the Fortinet distributed network of threat sensors, certs, MITRE, uh, cooperative competitors, and other global sources that collaborate to provide up-to-date threat intelligence about hostile sources. Mm -hmm. uh, near real-time intelligence from distributed network gateways combined with world-class research from FortiGuard labs helps organizations stay safer and proactively block attacks. I mean, that sounds fancy. And, yeah. and at, um, at surface level, it sounds like they do the same thing as you. 
Yeah. And I think when you look at, at technologies like that and you're incorporating it into your firewall, you're like your firewall is going to detect and block bad things as a result. But what if you want to go back and look over the last week or over the last month at what's been happening? What if you want to look for specific IPs and see if they've shown up on your network? Right. That's all stuff that's lacking from from these sorts of solutions in the market. You kind of have to you have to trust with very limited ability to verify that that uh, that that the, the company is doing what they say they're doing. And, and second, you know, one of the unique features about way the way we're doing this is it's a very simple, elegant UI on top of all of your customer firewalls. So you're you're bringing all the management of all these firewalls into a single pane of glass. And what you find is you know, it, great if you have a FortiGate. So say you have 500 customers and 50 of them have FortiGates, right? Okay, what do you do for the rest of them, right? And and so you're trying to, to patch together disparate services and products. Um, again, we let you integrate all of those into a single platform, get visibility into what's happening, get reporting, get alerting. So, you know, it's part of the solution, but it's not the entire solution. And um, I, I want to dig into this a little deeper. So yep. let's keep on with the FortiGate. You said it's it's basically doing everything on the FortiGate with with so, its uh, IP reputation service. Yeah. So yeah. So the FortiGate stuff works in software on the device, right? So there's software on the device communicating with the Forti with the company infrastructure. It's all happening on that firewall. Yeah, we don't require hardware or software to be installed. We don't have, we don't, you don't have to install anything on your, and this was another question I saw pop up on that Reddit thread. You don't have to install anything. You don't have to configure anything. You don't have to slow it down. I mean, to do that functionality, it takes uh, capacity, right? It takes RAM, it takes CPU, which drives up the co cost of those appliances. Um, we're offloading all of that into our SaaS infrastructure. And so, you know, the, the functionality is you're sending data from your firewall to us for analytics, and then we're sending instructions back to your firewall for blocking. And with, uh, with many other firewalls, you know, you start turning on some of these features, what is it like IDS, IPS, and it reduces the amount of overall bandwidth that the firewall can handle because it's utilizing yep. its resources to do other things. Correct. Something tells me FortiGuard maybe a little bit resource intensive, maybe not as intensive as IDS, IPS, but um, I, I'm sure that it's going to impact the overall bandwidth or, or whatever that, that the Fortinet's doing, right? Yeah, and I, you know, certainly, you know, I don't want to go toe-to-toe -to -toe or badmouth any other product, but what I'll say is like, again, you know, you're relying on resources on that hardware appliance in order to do it with, you know, to do it efficiently, you may have to upgrade your hardware. You may have to spend more on hardware um, and you're not getting that visibility into single pane of glass. So it's kind of, you know, it's, it's like looking at one feature on a car and saying, well, this other car does that one feature, you know, differently or better. Sure. But you have to look at the entire package. And I think that's where, you know, when you look at in, you know, we talked about pricing on the previous podcast and, you know, we don't go into that publicly because we are MSP focused, MSP friendly, and these MSPs are adding in what we're doing into their products and services. And so we want to give them the most amount of flexibility to do that in terms of, of generating revenue. So, you know, for us, it's about how do you put this, this package of capability 
analyzing traffic that's coming across the network, incorporating kind of threat intelligence analytics, figuring out good, bad, ugly, automating notifications, automated blocking, doing some nice custom reporting at the end of the day uh, to be able to show value back to your customers and wrapping that all into a nice, simple, easy use package that lets you do all of your firewalls in the exact same way. And the other thing that I want to, I want to just double check is you were talking about how, you know, this, this will give you that single pane of glass versus the, the FortiGate and that they, that they make it really easy for you to trust that it's preventing things, but mm -hmm. hard for you to verify. Is it hard to verify because they don't store any audit logs or just because you have to log into each individual FortiGate to review how they're doing because does Fortinet not have like a central management hub thing like a Sophos or, or uh, ubiquity or something like that? Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of these are, a lot of the firewalls are set to have a central hub where they show you some value. So like they'll show like, these are the things we've blocked today. They may even show you a map. They may show some, some, uh, some alerts that have happened. But the ability to really dig into that requires you dumping those logs into a log management system, into ElkStack, into a SIM tool, right? And they're not trying to replicate that because the amount of data storage that's required to really kind of aggregate and collect those logs would drive the prices of those appliances up. You need storage, you need, you know, you need hardware and oomph. So it's a different functionality than what those firewalls typically deliver. They do a, here's how we've protected you today a lot of times. Here are some alerts that we've seen over the last day, but it certainly doesn't replace what a log aggregation or a SIM tool might provide. Okay. Um, I like that. Now, I, I see someone here that, you know, they tried it a year ago. It caused a FortiGate 60DS to lock up, but um, they, they gave you another chance six weeks ago. So far, it seems to be working well. It has mostly just been blocking some some basic internet things, but they don't feel like it's super in depth with the insight that it's giving. So yeah, and go ahead, go ahead. And that's yeah, that's fair. I think you know we've come a long way over the course of the last two years. You know, pivoting from a hardware model, which we were in our early days, transitioning into a SaaS infrastructure. And then rebuilding that infrastructure over the course of the past year to be much more scalable, you know, drive down cross cost, increase performance. So, you know, we, we've had, it's one of those things that's kind of heartening as a founder when you've been with a company for a long time is to have companies that may have tried you out in your early days and, you know, just weren't happy and then are willing to give you a try again later and they're happy with what you're doing. Like that, that feels good that you'd like. You didn't burn those bridges, even though it wasn't a good fit and, and they're coming back and they, and they like what you're doing. We've, we have a couple of examples of that kind of in the past month where people have come back and been pretty excited. Um, in terms of the simplicity, you know, we are trying to walk this line between, you know, what a SIM tool and threat intelligence might provide and what you need to be able to do the, the simple automation protection of a network. And so that's, that's one thing we talk about and, and it's one thing we're working on on our roadmap for this year is, you know, if you're, if you're a cybersecurity analyst or you kind of have a security background and you're used to being able to really dig into a bunch of different threat intelligence sources or digging into what a SIM tool does, we're not providing that by the nature of what we're doing, right? Our, 
our ability is to say, here's, here's bad stuff. You can look into it. You can see if they've been successful in terms of data flow, you can turn on blocking and move on. But then the, we don't go into depth in terms of here are all the different threat sources. Here's all the details. Um, because you have, you know, from an engineering standpoint, you have to engineer the system to be profitable, right? <laughs> like at the, at the price points we're selling it, like you have to make sure that the infrastructure is streamlined and scalable and profitable. Um, we will later this year, uh, we're working now on a more detailed analytics portion of our platform that people can add on. So those people that want that can bolt that on and the people that don't, don't have to pay for it. Okay. Um, somebody said that claim your threat lists are pulling from more sources and better. It's appealing based on pricing and the ability to have a single blocking platform for multiple different firewall vendors. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to focus on that claim their threat lists are pulling from more sources and better. So. I just want to clarify, you don't have some magical list of sources that no other cybersecurity vendor has, right? No, and I, most people don't, um, yeah, we have I, some, I wouldn't think so. I mean, you, you're all, yeah. you're all getting the data from similar places, if not the same places you're, you know, you're probably paying, uh, one of these, one of these big vendors that all they do is cybersecurity, like you know, make these lists and, and all that stuff. I can't even think of the one's name, but he's been on my podcast. Um, I'll think of it like in a few hours when it doesn't matter anymore, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, excuse me. Uh, but, but basically, you know, I, I don't think that the magic is where your data is coming from. So the, the magic for us is, and there, there are lots of terms and, and I feel like it's hard to talk about a lot of these topics without getting into marketing world, like marketing terms that everybody's overusing, but like this idea of like a community-based defense, herd defense model, right? So the ability to say, if somebody out there knows something is bad, then we want to be able to really quickly take that knowledge and insight and protect our customers without them having to think about it or do anything. Right. So that requires not just saying I'm going to I'm going to pay for one list and because it's going to make me look good. It's saying I'm going to cast my net far and wide to a lot of different sources and each source is going to have kind of some trust associated with it, some badness in terms of what sort of content it, it typically has. And those all inform the algorithms in terms of how bad we say something is and how confident it is. You know, a great example, we put out a, a, a little bit of a report on Log4j. Um, and, you know, one of the lines we talk about in there is like, there's, there's like 50 vulnerabilities a day that were discovered in 2021. And so like, how do you keep yourself from getting underwater? Um, and part of it is, is our approach. So when, when you look at log4j, you know, there's the vulnerability side, right? You may have infrastructure that's vulnerable. You have no freaking clue what's vulnerable because it's hard to find out. Um, a lot of scrambling in terms of which products were affected, which weren't. Um, but how does that log4j vulnerability get exploited? It gets exploited by a threat actor coming from some other location IP and touching that infrastructure to pass in that string to see if it's vulnerable. And there's a lot of great resources. I mean, one of the companies that we really love is a company called Gray Noise. Andrew Morris is in the, in the DC area. 
built a great company. They have this like global sensor grid where they within, you know, a very short period of time are able to see people that are scanning for log4j vulnerabilities, right? They're seeing people that are scanning the entire internet looking for vulnerable servers. And if you have a vulnerability, vulnerable server, you're going to get popped. And so we incorporate gray noise intelligence into our platform. So every IP that's coming through our platform, as people see it, gets bounced against gray noise. If somebody's scanning for log4j, gray noise flags them as bad, gets scored as bad in our platform and our customers protected, right? And so that's sort of a mindset. It's not like threat intelligence is great if you have analysts and research and that sort of stuff. Our, our point is how do you look at the world of threat intelligence and the details that's out there and use that to automate protection for the mass market? And we're not going to catch everything all the time, but we can reduce your attack surface significantly uh, in buy time for all the other things. And the analogy I like to use here is if you think about like your neighborhood, I don't know if you've ever had it happen in your neighborhood where somebody's like, oh, my car got rummaged through and like stuff got stolen out of my car. Right. So go. Yeah. So go to like the uh, auto manufacturer and how much time do they spend on the electronics around locking and unlocking doors around keys and around protection and whether you mm -hmm. park in the garage. And but if you leave your door unlocked, somebody's going to go down the street, check every door. If that door is unlocked they're going to steal your stuff. That was literally my car like <laughs> eight or nine years ago or something like that. Um, some, it was probably some kids. Yeah. Uh, we lived in a, a nice little townhome development and um, my car was always parked in the parking space and my wife's car was always in the garage. And uh, I, you know, thought I lived in a nice neighborhood in a quiet little town and didn't lock my doors and uh, the face and and this this kind of tells you when it happened right the face plate on my fancy head unit stereo head unit uh, was was stolen. There you go. But and, you know the, those weren't those weren't criminals targeting you, uh -huh. right? They were just checking every every car on your street, and if they popped one, they're going to break in. That's the that's the exact same thing we're seeing happen in the cyber world. If you strip all this this fud and noise out of it is like people are just looking for vulnerabilities and weaknesses they're coming they're they're not even having to be quiet about it right companies like gray noise have plenty of data about how noisy this is all being the challenge is just how do you take that intelligence and very quickly convert it into blocking and stopping things at the firewall all right um hmm i like what i heard and that I, I was able to look in my email because I knew it was going to bother me. Uh, his name, I remembered his name was John. It's John Wetzel from Recorded Future. Oh, yeah. That, that's a great company. Yeah. Yeah. And they just, uh, they just acquired Security Trails, which is another great company that's doing a lot of attacks, security attack surface management. You know, I didn't even know that Security Trails existed. I always used DNS Trails. And then they merged them into the two, like the two different websites into one. Uh -huh. So, so then I was like, oh, okay. So security trails is a thing. I still just want to know what the DNS was like six months ago on this domain though. Like, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, let's see here. Um, it installs on the 40 gate. No. Uh, somebody even even 
corrected him and said, it's not an installation. It's a sensor integration and their software runs somewhere else. Is that accurate sensor integration? Yeah. I mean, it's, we, you can send data from your firewall to us in, Mm -hmm. in most firewalls that involves like, uh, you know, remote syslog connectivity, right? You just point your firewall to us. There are some firewalls that we have to do some custom integrations to get that work, that that to work the way it should. But in most cases, it's just you're sending an additional source of syslog to us for processing in our SaaS infrastructure. Got it. And then the the guy who said uh, it runs on Fortigate, um, he said, I'm sorry, but it's still unclear how that would be implemented and their site is useless. Does your website explain how this is, this is implemented? We we have a number of solution briefs up there that, you know, we're happy to have people look at, you know, I think one thing and, you know, going back to your comment, like where I jumped in, like as a tech geek, like there are things I hate. I hate having to like register to download something. Sure. I hate having to like talk to somebody for a demo. Um, Uh I'd rather just be able to try it on my own, but in terms of building a company and building relationships, like there are things we have to do that, you know, may or may not align to that. Like we need, we want to talk to people that are interested in this. And what I can promise you is like our sales team is not pushy. They're straightforward and honest. Um, if it's not a fit, it's not a fit and that's fine. Um, the call is, you know, a 20 to 30 minute demo and you're done. Um, so we're, you know, we're pretty rock solid in terms of like, how do we be blunt and open and honest in that process and not salesy, you know, punks. Um, but we, we have found and we can prove it, you know, we can prove it based on the numbers is like, if, if you just have a conversation with somebody about what we do, we can answer all those questions really quickly and figure out if it's a fit or not. Um, and it's really hard because, and I kind of describe it as like the Gartner magic quadrant problem, right? Like. The, the cybersecurity industry has all of these like product categories and we're kind of cross cutting mm-hmm. because we're an integrative platform. And so it's kind of hard to describe it. Um, but once you see what we do and how we do it, it's pretty simple. And we also do, you know, the first 30 days is free. And what we tell everybody is, look, try it for free for 30 days. If we don't do what we say we do, then no harm, no foul. It only takes five to 10 minutes to set up. So let's go. Right. So let's, let's put the, put, put our, uh, the proof is in the pudding. So they say. All right. Um, there was, there was a couple more on here that I wanted to talk about. Ultimately, uh, we used it internally and the price and features, how it worked, they were all good. Ultimately, I don't feel it added much above native Sophos subscription features. So we didn't build it into our stack. That's fine. Yeah. And I think. (laughs) <laughs> do, you, do you, so no, and, and I, and I get that, like, look, yeah. you know, if, if, if we're talking Pepsi versus Coke, you know, that, that's what I'm, I'm trying to suss out is, is like this versus the Sophos subscription stuff. Is that like Pepsi versus Coke or is what you're doing different? Like if they're not seeing it's adding much above the native Sophos subscription, then okay. But it. I mean, it's, it's adding something above it. You just said it yourself and yeah, 
maybe uh, I don't know. Maybe they're just getting lucky with with what the clients, uh, or or I guess with what their network is is getting, you know, tested against, so to speak. You know, when you, when you only implement something on a single network as a test case, it is, in my opinion, difficult for you to really gauge. All right, I don't know if it's doing a whole lot but I don't hate it, you know? So maybe I need to expand my environment. Yeah. And I, I would say it's not a, not a Pepsi versus Coke, unless you're talking about, you know, if you're managing five firewalls, like, you know, and it, and I don't fault anybody for making informed decisions, however they see fit, you know, you, you have X dollars to spend and you need to spend Mm -hmm. them the best way you can. You know, I believe pretty strongly given our price point that, you know, the ability to kind of, check off that box of being able to say, I know that all the traffic coming in into that, this network is monitoring. I know the bad stuff is blocked and I can verify it by looking at, at looking in the UI or looking at reports. You know, to me that takes off a big chunk of the risk, but you know, I don't fault a company that comes in and, you know, an MSP that comes in and makes an informed decision. What I'll tell you is like, I've been blown away by the retention. I mean, we're working with hundreds of MSPs now, um, and our churn is, is pretty much near zero. Right, which says something as a as a <clears> software <throat> company when you don't have people leaving, um, and uh, you know it's just because we provide g- great value at a great price point. Um, so it's you know all I can say is like you know the the folks that we work with tend to love it. Um, you know that the fact that we have basically near zero churn, you know there are probably some outliers out there that that make decisions otherwise, and I think that's that's perfectly fine. So this, this, um, this person's comment, um, some of it is not helpful. So I'm going to skip over the things that are just rude, but, um, they say that there's no indication of how it works, or at least there's, there's not a page with a title to that effect. And that, that seems fair for, for the, some people like, all right, I'm, I'm like the ADHD kind of guy. So when I look at a website, I'm literally just like looking at headlines. I don't read the content. Right. So when I, when I look at solution overview, I see automated cybersecurity, how, oh, look how. Uh, risk scores every IP connecting to the network and automatically blocks risky connections. Okay, mm-hmm. so maybe maybe what they're looking for is what do you mean you block? How maybe the how is where do you block? Is it on the endpoints? Is is this something that's is is this an agent I'm putting on every computer? Is yeah. it on a firewall? You know what I mean? Like, do I have to get an appliance for this? Like so, so maybe it's, maybe it's not that maybe you're simplifying it too much to, to make it, you know, marketing easy kind of thing. Um, so, so maybe, you know, that one, that one's a little fair. I, I could kind of see that, um, no signs of supported hardware vendors. I don't see signs of it, but that doesn't mean they're not there. Do you have somewhere like a list of Here's the ones that just easily work out of the box. Yep. We maintain that actively on, on the back end again. Yeah. So So that's like, we have lots of people that ask for that in the demo. 
Yeah, I think if you put that on the main site, you know, just some of these things, it's a concept that I refer to as social proof. I refer to anything that gives people more proof that this is a viable product as social proof. Okay. So any, anything that you can do to show people that you guys know what you're doing, you're great at cybersecurity. I mean, dude worked at the white house. He knows what he's doing. Okay. Um, so, so just dumb little things like that, I think are going to add some value to what's on the, the website. Um, and, and somebody said they have no idea if your solution is compatible with my stack. They don't know if it's reasonably priced, yada, yada, yada. I think if they didn't have so many unanswered questions that they would be willing to engage, but because it's like, all right, I don't know how, how it works. I don't know how it's priced. I don't even know what it works with or, or if it works with my stuff, I'm not interested. So, okay. Okay. I'll give you that one, sir. Just stop with the, the mean things. Jerks. This is why I love Reddit. Like you get blunt, honest, straightforward feedback. It, it really is. And you know, I'm, I, I, I see the, va- I get excited about new tools. I mean, I, I, you know, you don't know my story Vince, but I'll give you the quick version. Uh, started an MSP in 2009, um, after working for an MSP for three years. And then, you know, I've, I've been in tech since, uh, before I graduated high school. Um, so started my, my MSP in 2009 and, uh, I hate selling. I'm terrified of it because I'm terrified of having somebody say no. So I would just keep, uh, wasting time, like finding new things to implement. So that way I didn't have time to go out and sell. So. So I would literally like, oh, I'll just change to a new RMM or a new PSA or a new this or a new that. So I would always give myself all these projects to just keep myself busy and I'd, I'd never go out and sell. And obviously, you know, if I switch <laughs> to this product, everything, the money's just going to fall right. from the skies, you know? So, so, so like I, I, I trained myself to get excited about new tools. Um, so that's, that's why I love doing these interviews because now I, I get to, you know, talk about the new tools and see the new tools, but I don't have to like re-implement things and, and not sell anything to anybody. (laughs) It it gives me, it gives me the high without the, uh, the bad after effects. So, um, what, are there, are there any like questions or, or anything that you've seen that maybe we haven't touched on? I haven't asked. I think we've covered an incredible amount of ground today. I think, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, as the, as a, as a technical founder, you know, the, you know, you're trying to communicate with technologists, but you're also like, there's a lot of marketing challenges, right? And I think that's what all the companies in the channel, you know, struggle with every day is like, we know that MSPs are getting bombarded every day by solutions, by products. 
Um, we know they're getting sold products that, you know, are varying levels of integrity and honesty in terms of what they do and how they perform. We know MSPs are getting, you know, hammered every day by their customers in terms of expectations that they're not willing to pay for. So it's just, it's just a tough, hard environment. And I think, you know, the ethos of our company is like, how do we, how do we solve this mission of protecting as many companies as possible in its down market focused, right? It's not, I think if you're an enterprise with lots of money, you can buy any tool and hire any people and manage risk pretty well down market. There's a lot of gaps. And so it's our mission is how do you solve that? And our ethos is like, let's be blunt and honest and open. And you know, that's the, that's the team that we've built. And, uh, and I have, you know, I understand why people look at us through the lens of other companies. Like that's what we're, we're trained to be dubious. We're trained to like, this is all BS. Um, and you know, it, it's hard to counter that. And the only way you can is just by, you know, discussions like this. I love it. Right. Like, let's just put down the, put down the facade and just be open and honest and have a, a reasonable discussion. And that's what we do with our customers. That. And that's why our customers love us and are loyal. Good. Um, yeah. I, I made another post where it was vague and it had nothing to do with your company or any particular cybersecurity company. Um, I just said, you know, what are some questions I should be asking or thinking about or whatever when it comes to cybersecurity vendors and, and when I'm interviewing you guys. And I mm -hmm. said, all right, you know, like, here's, here's some examples. Like, you know, where do you get your securities from, uh, security feeds from? How many do you use? Are your developers uh, all W2 employees? Are they in the U.S.? Uh, FedRAMP. Um, is there a contract term or can, is it month to month? Like all, all of these, all of these examples. And, um, one guy, I actually think I like his response and I want to read all of it to you. He said, okay. except for your last question, most of these are fairly meaningless questions. Generally, all the security vendors provide a similar level of protection and all can point to a third party test proving they are the best, which makes that metric useless. <laughs> <laughs> Many of the larger vendors rely on their own threat intelligence, which is often better than relying on mul multiple lower fidelity or no noisy threat feeds. Having multiple threat feeds does not make them any better or worse. Although support for sticks and taxi, you know what mm -hmm. those are, right? Yep. Uh, allowing you to ingest multiple threat feeds of your choosing is a good feature to ask about. Do you, so I'll pause there. Do you have support for that? Will you support it? So like the sticks taxi framework is, is, you know, basically an XML framework for sharing information between organizations. Um, we, at one point in our company's history, we had the ability to export data in, in like a sticks taxi format. Um, but you know, the market we're serving don't have analysts that are sharing information back and forth, right? You're not. True. The sticks taxi stuff is really at the enterprise level when you're saying, hey, I have these vulnerabilities. I'm going to share it with a consortium. People are going to automatically ingest that and move on. Um, so, you know, I think at, at the enterprise level, it's great at the at the lower end. Like we didn't see a lot of need for it, a lot of a lot of asking about it. We do give, you know, you can't export the data that we're showing in a CSV format. Right. We've had we've had that ask and that's an ability we can do. So if you want to dump it into a spreadsheet and share it with somebody, you can do that. Um, but. Okay. Um, I don't think any of the mainstream security vendors do 100% of their development in the U.S. 
they would have to charge more than you would be willing to pay if that were the case. And why is this important? There are plenty of US-based cyber criminals as well. You just don't hear about them in the news as often as Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea. Do you agree with that sentiment? So our, our, our development team is all US-based W-2s. You know, mm -hmm. we talked about in our previous discussion, some of the DOD work we're doing. So there's a little bit more sensitivity to that for us as a company. My background coming from Department of Homeland Security, coming from the White House, you know, I certainly have opinions of what going to low cost overseas resources exposes you to in a supply chain context. So, you know, not that solar winds was a result of this, but think about the idea of solar winds where you have backdoors embedded in code that you don't know about. And that becomes easier to, to, to do the less control you have over your development resources. Um, but I certainly don't fault, you know, companies that say, you know, for, you know, maybe this AV platform or whatever else we're doing, like there's a need to have low cost resources to develop it and get it out of the price point. Um, you know, I think for us, you know, the development resources are focused on creating a, a scalable, affordable platform, right? And so for us, it's as a SaaS company, it's, it's how do you, how do you share resources and scale in a way that, that makes sense? So, you know, I'm probably more sensitive than most to supply chain vulnerabilities. Um, and I get why people are concerned about it, but I also think, you know, it's all, it, going back to my earlier comment near the beginning is it's all about risk management. Like what are the risks you're concerned about and how do you most effectively manage it? And if one of your risks as a company is we've got to make this affordable, then you have to take approach, approaches to make it affordable. We don't do that, but you know, I get it. His, his third point is fed ramp only matters if you have government customers. And I know that, but, you know, I, I'd like to think that I've got, uh, listeners from all walks of life, you know, some don't do anything with the government and some do. So I think that's still a fair question for me to ask, uh, cybersecurity vendors. And I mean, because you're working with DOD, I can only imagine your fed ramp. So we're operating our DOD environment within AWS GovCloud, which has a lot of the FedRAMP stuff checked. We haven't gone through the FedRAMP certification process in that environment based on kind of a mutual discussion with the customer and kind of what they needed. We're yeah. not storing procurement sensitive data. We're not storing CUI, right? So like the data that we're storing is not federal government data. Um, it is metadata associated with inbound and outbound communications of a network that anybody in the path of that network would see anyways, right? So if you think about so whether, whether it's you or, uh, level three or whoever, like there, there's multiple companies who can have eyes on that data. Yeah. And we're not storing the content of those communications. We're just storing, you know, in some ways, kind of the, the phone records of those communications. And mm -hmm. then within that environment. You know, we're doing, you know, we have, uh, medium assurance certificates, you know, where you have to have a cert to access the site at all, username, password, two-factor authentication, those sorts of things are all in play to lock that all down. Um, and then of course, using things like IP whitelisting for some of the more sensitive stuff where you can really, and of course, logging and monitoring everything to the right extent. So, so there are a lot of, there are a lot of ways to manage security. You know, the thing, I, the thing about like a FedRAMP certification, it's a good stamp that says, check, we've done it. Um, on the commercial side, anytime we have anybody that's concerned, you know, we, we, you can imagine we get all walks of life. Um, 
anybody that wants to take a deep dive into how we're doing things, we're happy to, to go through those discussions and, ha and have them. Like we're not afraid of that at all. Um, and then number five, this is the only question on your list that matters. Uh, and that was, is there a contract term or is it month to month? He said, I'm more interested in business model alignment. If it's monthly pay as you go, any term commitments, none is ideal and common support offerings. Do they have dedicated support for MSPs or do you just call the regular support line along with everyone else? Breadth of products, more products equals more things to sell equals more profit for you. Uh, Self-provisioning of licenses, multi-tenant management, and integrations with relevant RMM or PSA tools. So I agree, you know, in the channel, you've got uh, MSPs that are dealing with customers that come and go and, you know, requirements change. And, you know, as a SaaS company, there's a lot of pressure to say, you know, if you sign a one-year contract and you take money up front, you can manage cash flow more effectively. Like th those, there's a lot of pressure in the software environment to do those things. As a company, we're month to month pay as you go, right? Because to me, that's the only way to continually show value in this MSP channel to, to know like that you're like, when I talk about near zero churn, it's one thing to say, you know, we have near zero churn with annual contracts. It's another thing to say, every one of our customers can walk away at any point and they're not right. They, that means something to me in terms of knowing we're providing value. Um, when it comes to the, the breadth of the products we offer, you know, we're, we're today, we're very focused on this network protection firewall market. We're expanding this year. You know, I mentioned the advanced analytics product. We're also looking at a, a partnership on the DNS protection side. Um, we're also looking at cloud, you know, cloud and other SaaS infrastructure. How do you start to instrument and protect that in, in a similar fashion? So, you know, we know for sure as a company, you know, just as, just as on the, on the MSP side, working with one company that offers more products and services provides more ability to generate revenue. You know, for us, it allows us to have, you know, generate more revenue per MSP. So it's a, it's a mutual relationship there. The, the more products we offer that are, that are good, the better that relationship is. Mm -hmm. Everything we do as a company is on a self-service model, right? So our MSPs can provision and, and configure as many customers as they want without picking up the phone and talking to us, right? And, and part of the process is, you know, early on in the relationship, we make sure they know how they're trained up on how to do it and do it right. And we provide the support around it. But if they want to go off and deploy, you know, a hundred firewalls on their own, they do it. And, and our, our customers are doing it all the time. There's very little friction in terms of that process. On the support side, you know, we're, we're MSP channel focused and we have a, you know, our support team from tier one to up to tier three is available. We have, you know, mostly email, email driven. We don't have a call center, um, but we, you know, you call our number and it'll direct you to somebody that'll, that'll help you, but it's mostly email driven. We manage those tickets. We respond, uh, you know, our customers across the board are very happy with that support. We're going back to the same messaging, you know, we're blunt and open. If we don't do something, we say, you know, we'll get it on the list and we'll get some more detail on what you're looking and doing. And because of, because the way our platform is de designed and deployed, we don't run into a lot of, uh, customer support issues. And when we do, we're, we're responsive and helpful. So. Got it. And there is one last thing. Um, this is my last question, at least. 
how can I report a vulnerability to your product? So we, we don't do like, I, I'm a big fan of people that do like uh, vulnerability disclosure programs and, and that sort of stuff. We don't have that deployed today, but you know, if somebody were to see something, I would, you know, if they email us, they'll get a response. Okay. Uh, is there uh SLA or anything that you're going to make them sign or, uh, Maybe not. They, this guy said SLA. Are you going to make a sign NDA. Like NDA? Around a vulnerability? Yes. I, you know, I think. It depends uh, on the vulnerability, maybe. It does. But to me, like, if it, bad information only gets worse with time. Like, if you've got a problem with your stuff, then you need to be, you need to be made aware and you need to fix it. Right? Like, that's it. Like, it's, well, it's pretty simple. I, I know some of the guys who, who want to disclose a vulnerability. It's like, all right, you can pay me. And, you know, some companies just don't have that built into the budget. So if you can't pay me, then let me, you know, write about this once you've yeah. got it resolved. Yep. So, you, you know, it sounds like as long as you've resolved it and it's no longer an actual vulnerability, you're cool with them posting about it. Um, yeah. and you know, making themselves look good. Cool. Okay. So yeah. I, I feel like that answers all of the questions I should have asked you and we should have discussed some, you know, maybe not, we shouldn't have discussed some of these things because some people are just, like I said, they're just mean on the internet, man. And, uh, we can handle it. Yeah. I hope your feelings weren't hurt. No. <laughs> and I, I mean, we, Anybody, I mean, we, we always encourage open and honest communication with our customers Good. and like, I just not wanting to hear bad information is just a, a great recipe for confirmation bias. Mm -hmm. So um, I get it, man. Well, thanks very much for doing this. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. It's been great. Um, look forward to the next one. Let's see. Let's see what the, what the interwebs say this time. <laughs> time when we tell. Ha, 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 ha.